Hear now God's word. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them devoid, uh, uh, appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own, t- own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judah and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, uh, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they are full of new wine. And thus far the reading of God's word, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, I've recently, as you know, been preaching a series of sermons titled, What's Wrong with the World? And I think we could say um, that pretty much everything. The world is a damned mess. And the answer is, it's a mess because of sin, which is a lack of love for God, a lack of faith in God, and a lack of obedience toward God. And as a result, we constantly have division, we have conflict, we are separated from God, and as a result, we are separated from our neighbors and in conflict with our neighbors, and this spreads out from individuals to families. Families are a mess, groups, nations. There are ethnic and racial divides, there are political divides, and there are divisions among nations. This past week's headlines have been a powerful demonstration of all of this. George Floyd's murder is a powerful and tragic demonstration of what sin does to people and to the world. When love for God and his rule are abandoned, then it is every man for himself. And the resulting riots shouldn't surprise us since they're only more of the same self-serving, autonomous behavior that leads to even more strife among men. It would be bad enough had we not been shown a better way. But the scriptures say this, Micah 6.8, He, that is the Lord, has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
but the world wants none of that. And so I say to you, Christians, we have our work cut out for us. In casting off the deeds of darkness, in proclaiming the good news that brings men back into a place of peace with God and therefore to a place of peace and goodwill with men on earth. That's the answer. It's the only answer. And as we look at the church calendar, we have arrived at Pentecost Sunday for the church, for the Christian church. Pentecost marks the beginning of a powerful shift toward putting the world right side up. I think it's interesting that in, when all this begins to happen, that the world describes the disciples as those who have turned the world upside down. When in reality, they're turning it right side up. When we mention the word Pentecost, many of us have certain associations in our mind. We might think of it as an isolated miracle as the Spirit is poured out upon the disciples of Jesus and they begin to speak in tongues. But there is so much more going on here. The idea of speaking in tongues is also mysterious to many. But when we fail to understand the Bible and the history of redemption in a biblical context, our imaginations combined with our ignorance can lead to some rather bizarre ideas or bizarre theology as well as some unusual practices. And I think a similar thing happens when we come to the book of Revelation and many other examples in Scripture. Speculation and imagination within biblical limitation is welcomed. In fact, it's even encouraged. But all other speculation and imagination is dangerous. Speculations out of context has produced some very outlandish and sensational interpretations. Today, I want to tie the context of the Old Testament together as we, uh, with the, uh, as we, together as we discuss what happened on this particular Pentecost day. And so it is not disconnected from the past, the ancient past, and it's not disconnected from the future, therefore neither is it disconnected from the present or from you and me. Now a little background. Pentecost is a Jewish feast that, fall, uh, that falls on the 50th day after Passover. In biblical times, Jews from all over the Roman Empire gathered in Jerusalem for the festivities of Pentecost. They planned their year, they saved their money, they traveled to be in Jerusalem for this day. On the Pentecost, after Jesus' resurrection, ten days after Jesus had ascended into heaven, the apostles and other believers were gathered in one place in an upper room when they were suddenly empowered by the Holy Spirit do what? To preach the gospel, the good news of the resurrection to the whole world. The mission from the time of the fall to Abraham, who was promised that his descendants, his seed, would be a blessing to all the nations, to Pentecost is, a, is broad and comprehensive. Jesus had just told all of his disciples who were gathered in this upper room, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me, for me, 
in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so very shortly after that, they went out into the crowds. And as a result of their speaking in foreign languages, they attracted a great deal of attention from all the people who had gathered from all over to, for this Pentecost feast. And so remember, this wasn't an unknown language or a heavenly language, but rather these were actual foreign languages, unknown to the speaker, but known to the hearers. As you can imagine, that would create quite a stir. They noticed this right away. These, these are Galileans, and they're speaking in other languages. So Peter seized the opportunity to address the crowd, and he preached Jesus' death and resurrection, and as a result, there were several thousand converts. We're talking about major drama here. An enormous thing is happening. And these events are recorded in Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 41. And this miracle of tongues was not simply a miracle for a miracle's sake. It was the fruit of what God had promised long, long ago regarding what he would do through the Messiah. That is, that he would be a blessing to all the nations. Since that day, Pentecost is celebrated by Christians as the birthday of the Christian church, and it marks the beginning of a new creation. Since the Jewish Pentecost is the 50th day of Passover, the Christian Pentecost is the 50th day after Easter. Pentecost is not the coming of the Holy Spirit, by the way. The Holy Spirit made his first appearance in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Pentecost is a new beginning that is rooted in the past. The same Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters of the first creation now forms the church into a new creation. He brings new order out of chaos. Remember, the world has gone wrong, and now God is doing something here in a very dramatic way. He performs this creative work in individuals, but also then in nations. No longer would God's people be restricted simply to the nation of Israel. But now they will be comprised of people from every nation. The Gentiles are now going to be brought in. And so we should note that Pentecost is first a reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel when God judged a sinful and prideful and rebellious people. At Babel, differences of language bred confusion and divided nations. At Pentecost, differences of language reverse this, bringing order and conversion and unity into one body. Babel produced different languages that were soon, uh, that were soon calling on different gods. Pentecost produced the first fruits of a reunited humanity, every tongue confessing that Jesus is Lord. The coming of the new world of the kingdom meant the coming of a new vocabulary. And, as so, and so, to be Christians means to make this vocabulary our own. Regardless of our nationality, our ethnicity, 
This means uh, that we now speak with one voice and one uh, and are one in the gospel of Christ. I want to just make a, a clear point, a note on racism, which we hear about continually. I've heard it all my life. The sin of racism, that is the sin of hating, mistreating, marginalizing, or in any other way treating unjustly a person based on their race, their ethnicity, or their skin color is completely contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's true that there are superior and inferior individuals, not as persons, we're created equal before God as human beings, as images of God, but God, there are differences in people, right? There are people that are smarter than me and better looking than me and funnier than me and more talented than me and all kinds of differences in which I might look at another person and say they are my superior. Perhaps they just hold a superior position over me. The policeman, as I'm driving down the street and going too fast, and he turns on his lights and pulls me over, has the authority to do that because he occupies and holds a superior position to me. And by the way, when a policeman or any other person in authority abuses their authority, as we've seen in this past week, that makes it far worse because it's a betrayal of the trust that God has given those in authority. Um, so there are, uh, these differences are due to God's providence of circumstance and or personal gifts. But remember, if you, if you have some of those gifts, if you are smart or good-looking or funny or talented or whatever, you need to remember, I need to remember that these are gifts and are not a basis for individual pride or arrogance to whom much is given, much is required. It is true that there are also superior and inferior cultures. The differences here, though, are rooted in which God is being served. Culture is religion externalized, and that's why every tribe and tongue needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our negative judgment should be reserved for ungodliness as expressed by individuals and cultures. We should repent of any notion that race or ethnicity in and of itself is the cause of blessing or curse. The gospel was always intended to go, always intended to go to the whole world. Every tribe, every tongue. For Jesus is the light of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him, whoever, whatever color, whatever race, whatever nation, should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Galatians 3, 7-8, Therefore know that only those who are of the faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. 
So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Pentecost was an Israelite feast before it was a Christian feast. In the agricultural calendar, the Feast of Pentecost celebrated the harvest or the coming of first fruits, the, the initial harvest. Israel's feast are not, only, are not only followed the agricultural year, but they also trace the history of Israel. Passover recalled the redemption from Egypt, and the Feast of Booths commemorated Israel's wandering in the wilderness. Pentecost in the third month, 50 days after the Passover celebration in the first month, celebrated God's giving of his law at Mount Sinai. Pentecost was the great feast of Torah, the first five books of the law. According to Romans 9, 4 through 5, Israel was blessed in several key ways. Who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. And so according to Galatians 3, Abraham heard the gospel when the Lord promised that, quote, all the nations shall be blessed in you. Remember, the world's a mess, a damned mess. And God's going to bless the nations through Abraham and his seed. Paul quotes here from Genesis 12, 3, but the context puts an odd slant on, the, on this Old Testament text. Galatians 3 starts with a series of rhetorical questions about the Galatians having received the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, verses 1 through 5, and the first section of the chapter ends with a reiteration of this theme. The Gentiles receiving the Spirit of God, thus verses 1 through 14 are focused on the question of how did the Galatians receive the Spirit? What does the promise of international blessing have to do with this? More pointedly, verse 14 implies that Abraham was promised the Spirit. Jesus endured the curse of the tree so that, this is Galatians 3.14, the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. We here refers as elsewhere to Galatians, in Galatians, to Jewish believers, so that the blessing of Abraham to the Gentiles is connected with the gift of the Spirit to Israel. In Galatians 3, then, the gospel is preached to Abraham, uh, that was preached to Abraham was the good news that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, would be poured out on Israel and in conjunction with this, blessings would then flow to all the nations. But what does the Abrahamic promise have to do with the Spirit? Paul says that this promise was and the Greek word here, we could translate it, was pre-preached to Abraham himself. The gospel was preached ahead of time to Abraham. Remember, the Bible says Abraham saw Christ's day and rejoiced. 
This is crucial to Paul's argument since he is insisting that Abraham's trust in the promise is a model for the Galatians. Galatians 3, 6 through 7. Moreover, Paul connects Genesis 12, verse, excuse me, Paul connects Genesis 12, 3, uh, and it, he, he directs with, uh, directly with the promise of the Spirit. For Paul, the promise that the nations will be blessed is a promise that the Spirit will be poured out. When the Lord promised that Abraham's seed would bring blessing to the nations, the Spirit was implicitly promised as well. How is this the case? Again, I'm going to urge you. I know you may want to go back over this. Uh, when we're dealing with theological arguments, which is the Bible is full of, you have to pay careful attention. These are all, remember, every word is inspired by God. It's put in here for a reason. How is this the case? Several features of Luke's account of Pentecost that we've read this morning in Acts chapter 2. Remember, Luke wrote the book of Acts. Several features of his account of Pentecost clarify and deepen this line of thought, this connection of the pouring out of the Spirit becoming a blessing to the nations, to the world. Acts 2 is modeled on Genesis chapter 10 and 11. Like Genesis 10, Acts 2 contains a table of nations. And like Genesis 11, Acts 2 records a miracle of language. These parallels serve, of course, to highlight the contrast between Babel and Pentecost. While the diversity of tongues at Babel divided and disrupted the nations, the diversity of tongues at Pentecost had the opposite effect of joining the nations together as one people. The gift of the Spirit thus implies that all tribes and tongues will confess Jesus as Lord. The outpouring of the Spirit is for the purpose of the gathering of the nations. A great example of this is our bond with our sister churches in Russia and Uzbekistan. Here we are, they're Russians and Uzbeks and we're Americans. None of that matters, because before that, we're Christians. We're joined together. Further, in Genesis, the call of Abraham and the promise that the nations will be blessed through him follows immediately after the division of nations, Genesis 12, 1 and 3, so that the call of Abraham is God's solution to the problem of Babel. That's to say the promise is that Abraham's seed, who is Christ, will unite the nations in blessing. This is why we must first and foremost identify as Christians before we identify by race, ethnicity, or nationality. Let me say that again. Somebody said, who are you? Tell me about yourself. How do you, how do you identify yourself? The first thing out of your mouth, the first thing in the front of your mind ought to be, I am a Christian. That's what 
I'm, I first identify with. <clears throat> if I'm in a room full of people from other countries, of other races, who like different sports teams, who are from another state, the first thing I ought to say is, my people are Christians. Those are my primary people. We are Christians first, and therefore united with Christians from every nation. And we are Americans second, and we should be, a good, we should be good American citizens, but our loyalty is first and foremost to Jesus Christ. Pentecost thus fulfills the promise to Abraham, namely the reversal of the curse of Babel and the restoration of harmony among nations under the rule of Abraham's seed through the outpouring of the Spirit. The Pentecostal gift of the Spirit to Israel is the first fruits of the harvest of nations. Peter's sermon at Pentecost suggests a Trinitarian background to this Spirit-Nations connection. Having been raised to the right hand of God, Jesus receives the Spirit and pours Him out upon His disciples at Pentecost. In his sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter supports his teaching that Jesus has ascended to receive the Spirit, and he does so by quoting Psalm 2. He does that in Acts chapter 2. A psalm that applies to Jesus, since he, not David, sits at the right hand of God. Psalm 2 also says that the Son at the Father's right hand does what? Receives the nations as his inheritance and the ends of the earth as his possession. Peter alludes to this by quoting the clause, Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. But the whole psalm is in view. Thus, the sequence of thought is this. Jesus has ascended to receive the Spirit, and this fulfills the promise that Christ would ascend and receive the nations. For Peter, the Father's gift of the Spirit to the Son is a gift of the nations, since the outpouring of the Spirit on Israel will turn the nations into a footstool for his feet. In Genesis 45, verse 8, Joseph, who was a type of Christ and also the great-grandson of Abraham, says that, quote, uh, it says this, God has made me, Joseph says this, God has made me a father to Pharaoh. Got that? Joseph, a type of Christ, great-grandson of Abraham, says God has made me a father to to Pharaoh. So Joseph has already been pictured as one who brings blessing not only to his brothers, but before that to all the nations of the world as all the world came to obtain food from Joseph. Isn't that glorious? Now, is there mention of the Holy Spirit in all this? Yes, there is. But some translations obscure it. When Pharaoh recognized Joseph as a wise man and put him over all Egypt, he said this in Genesis 41, 38, Can we find a man like this in whom the Spirit, whom, in whom is the Spirit of God? 
Thus, the bestowal of the Spirit upon Joseph, a son of Abraham, is connected to the conversion and life of the Gentiles, exactly as Paul states it in connection with the greater Joseph and the Jews of his day. So Pentecost is a new beginning that looks into the future. I don't have time to develop this subject this morning, but it's important to mention it. In the book of Revelation, we find this important passage in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. Then I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him What is he bound from? What is it he can't do anymore? So that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Jesus crushed the head of the serpent at the cross and he bound the strong man. The gospel which had been reserved for Israel burst forth on the day of Pentecost and spreads all the nations Satan's hands are tied specifically he can no longer deceive entire nations so Pentecost marks the beginning of a new creation a new world made right now as we've said everyone knows that there's something wrong with them and there's something wrong with this world what's wrong is that they have They all have the wrong God themselves. Paradise is only restored in Christ and his gospel because it's only in the gospel that sin is removed and men are made new. We who have also received the Spirit of God must now show forth the first fruits of the gospel. We must reach out to all men and nations with the message of peace in Jesus Christ. We must see ourselves as the new humanity, the new creation in Christ Jesus, citizens of a new nation. I'm going to close with a quote that I've used multiple times. Many of you have heard it before, but I just like it, and it applies. It's from Francis Schaeffer. He wrote in his book, The Church at the End of the 20th Century, this In the church at Antioch, the Christians included Jews and Gentiles and reached all the way from Herod's foster brother to the slaves. And the naturally proud Greek Christian Gentiles of Macedonia showed a practical concern for the material needs of the Christian Jews in Jerusalem. The observable and practical love among true Christians that the world has a right to be able to observe in our day certainly should cut without reservation across such lines as language, nationalities, national frontiers, younger and older, colors of skin, levels of education and economics, accent, line of birth, the class system in any particular society, dress, short or long hair, the wearing of shoes and the non-wearing of shoes, cultural differentiations, 
and the more traditional and less traditional forms of worship. Amen. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and replenish the hearts of your faithful believers. Kindle in us the fire of your love. You who through the tongues of fire gathered together all the nations of the heathen in unity of faith, take away all dissension and discord out of your holy church and make us to be of one mind in unfeigned love without which we cannot please you. May you comfort us, O Comforter, you who will abide with your church until the end. Bestow on us your manifold gifts of grace and enlighten our minds with truth filling our hearts with passion for the lost, teaching us to love our neighbors, and using us to declare the gospel to every tribe and tongue. Thank you for calling us, who were without hope and strangers to the covenants of promise, and for drawing us, who were far off, near to the great commonwealth, which is through the blood of Jesus our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Pentecost is a new beginning that we see in the present. Much, much more could be said here, but allow me to summarize this point with a couple of representative passages as we prepare to come to the table. Uh, Peter's sermon that comes immediately after the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 powerfully proclaims this ancient message of the promise made to Abraham. So in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 39, now when they heard this, that is the multitude that were hearing this, uh, who gathered from all over, they were cut uh, to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, this is the old Abrahamic promise, the promise is to you and your children and to all who are far, afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Likewise, the Apostle Paul ties all this together when he writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that you, you people in the world, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so, that to, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both 
have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. Let me interject here. You're no longer different races. You're no longer different nationalities. You're no longer different ethnicities. You're Christians. But fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God, our Father, let the Spirit you sent upon your church on the day of Pentecost um, to begin the teaching of the gospel continue to work in the world through your covenant people. Father of light, from whom every good gift comes, send your Spirit into our lives to loosen our tongues, to speak and sing your praises. For without your Spirit, man could never raise his voice to announce the truth that Jesus is Lord. Breathe into us, Holy Spirit, that our thoughts may all be holy. Move in us, Holy Spirit, that our work might also be holy. Attract our hearts, Holy Spirit, that we may love only what is holy. Strengthen us, Holy Spirit, that we may defend all that is holy. And protect us, Holy Spirit, that we may always be holy. Holy Spirit, powerful counselor, sacred bond of the Father and the Son, hope of the afflicted, Descend into our hearts and establish us in your loving dominion. Kindle in our tepid souls the fire of your love so that we may be entirely subject to you. Come and purify us. Let no evil desire take possession of us. You love the humble and resist the proud. Come to us, glory of the living and hope of the dying. Lead us by your grace that we may always be pleasing to you. Come to us and send us into the world to announce the good news that he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. benediction of the Lord behold it is not of the Lord of, uh, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor to feed the fire and nations weary themselves in vain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea amen <laughs>